Well, good morning, Grace City Church. It's great to be here with you today. My name's Hugh. I'm one of the leaders at the church. And it's another online service, but thank you so much for joining us. We really do appreciate being able to be with you in this way. And I don't know about you, but for me, I've caught up with a few different people in the church, seen friends and stuff like that. But um, really, I've been with kind of an isolated group in a sense. It's like my family, my city group. We've done a lot of online stuff together. But I don't really feel like I know what's going on across the, the whole church in a sense. You know, there's a lot of people that I've not seen for a long time. And um, so I thought it would be a nice thing to start by doing like around the grounds, as it were. Find out what the different kind of groups are up to. Because we are one church, but we have congregations um, across Sydney. So we've got four of them. So let's start. So firstly, with Ola and Mona, here's a picture of their lovely group. They're getting together every Sunday at this moment, um, 3 p.m. they gather. They do second and fourth Sunday. They do like physically together. The rest of the time they're joining online. Then we've got Quinton and Kate and their group, St. Ives crew. Um, they're meeting every Wednesday. They've done some kind of in person. They've done some online. They've been doing a series on James, which I hear is going really well. And then we've got Chatswood, where I'm based. Uh, we've got five city groups. They're pretty much all meeting every single week, and attendance has been really good. They're also doing a study of James, what the majority of them are. And um, yeah, they're going really well. So again, we've got a few pictures of them here. And then DY, I think they've got a lot more groups. They've got about 16 in total they're gathering. They're doing a whole different range of activities. And again, you can see some pictures here. So I think it's just nice to get a sense of actually it's not just you and your group, you know, stuff's happening across the whole church. People are gathering together on Sundays. They're watching this. They're spending time with each other. People are now doing some Sundays at home. And we are still one kind of family, even though we're not seeing each other. And I, I wanted to talk about this because I suppose as restrictions begin to ease, people are thinking, well, when are we going to gather and what's that going to look like? And I want to talk about that a little bit this morning, not like in terms of specific detail, although we do want to fill you in on um, what's happening and site leadership teams will be working that stuff out and letting you guys know, but just how we begin to prepare our hearts for what transition back to kind of normal Sundays looks like. And I want to do that by looking at a passage from Jeremiah chapter 31, which I'll do in a minute. Um, because God gave it to me, it was in a, around February, where I'd, I'd started reading Jeremiah. Uh, and uh, on this particular day, I got up to Jeremiah 31, and I'll give you the significance of that in a moment. But um, we had Steve Oliver over, who was working through some stuff um, in our team, you know, which was, um, as you'll know, if you've been journeying us for a little bit for a while you know we had some difficult moments and some challenging times I, it was my daily reading this chapter on the first day that we kind of gathered together and I felt God really speak to me about the church and what he wants to do with us and I suppose the genre of this preach if you like is a prophetic preach because although this chapter was written for another group of people you know kind of thousands of years ago I felt that God was really saying this stuff to us as a community and I got really excited in that moment and I want to share it with you because I want you to be really excited about what church looks like going forward. So that's what we're going to do this morning. Why don't I pray and then we'll get into it. Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it's not just a book that we read like another book. Actually, it's powerful. It's transformative. And in a very real sense, it's alive. It is your word. It is you. And I want to pray, Holy Spirit, for each person listening to this, that they would sense your presence within right now as we go through this. I pray that you would be speaking to them. You'd be stirring their hearts. You'd be drawing close to them. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. 
So for this preach, you're going to need three things, right? Three things that everybody has got lying around at home. First, you're going to need a Bible. Um, it can be online or physical, doesn't matter. You just need to be kind of a Bible. And then a way of making some notes. So again, it could be on your phone, your iPad, pen and paper if you want to go old school or chalk. I don't know. Whatever you use, just something for taking notes. And then the third thing that you need is a fork. Um, it needs to be um, a pink fork, like a rubber pink fork with a, a blue tip. And the space between the prongs needs to be exactly five millimeters. Otherwise, the preach just won't work. No, I'm joking. You don't need a fork at all. But you do need, you don't need a fork. You do need a Bible and you need to write some stuff down. Because we're going to do some work together. In a minute, I'm going to read Jeremiah 31 to you. And then I want you to read it through yourselves and take some notes about a couple of things that stand out to you. But let me give you the backgrounds of the passage first. One of the great prophets from the Old Testament was Moses. He gave us what's commonly called the law or the Torah. It's not just the Ten Commandments. It's a, it's a long list of kind of regulations that cover stuff like how sacrifices are be, to be performed, and kind of civil law and stuff, stuff like that. And along with that law comes a set of terms and conditions where God said to people, if you follow this, you know, I'm going to bless you and you're going to prosper. I'm going to take you into a new land and you're going to have a great life in there. But he says, if you don't follow these laws, actually there's going to be real consequences and curses for you. If you want to know more about that, you just go and read Deuteronomy chapter 28 and you'll see in there actually. It's like, if you don't follow these things, in the end you're going to be removed from your land. And to kind of simplify the message of the, all the Old Testament prophets, you know, the books like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel and stuff, to simplify their message, they basically referred back to what Moses had already said, or rather what God said through Moses. Hey, that it, you need to follow these kind of laws and regulations. And, and, and people, the prophets said, you're not following them, and there's going to be consequences. And that happened again and again and again and again over hundreds of years. And the prophet Jeremiah appears at a really interesting point. You know, he's commissioned by God to say exactly what God would have him say. And God says, but people aren't going to listen to you. And Jeremiah begins to prophesy and begins to prophesy about what will happen to them if they don't obey God. And Jeremiah lives through a tragic moment where actually that is fulfilled. Israel as a nation was divided into two tribes, the northern tribe and the southern tribe. The, southern, the northern tribe, sorry, they've already been taken away. They've already been taken off by the Assyrians. Isaiah speaks to the, the southern tribes and he says, listen, if you don't obey God, because I know you think you're better than the other tribe, you're, you too are going to be removed. And he lives through that period when that southern tribe is taken off into, into Babylon by the Persians. He lives through that period. And you, know, you can read a book like Lamentations as Jeremiah reflects on it as it's actually happening. And it's hard to read. It, it's, it's difficult and it's confronting. But at the same time, it's full of phenomenal truths about who God is. So Jeremiah li lives through a really significant period of transition. And for me, um, I decided to start reading Jeremiah. I'm not sure what prompted me, to be honest. I, I don't have a Bible reading plan. Like last year, I started reading Thessalonians and I thought... I'll just work through every book in the New Testament that starts with the letter T. Not particularly spiritual, but I really enjoyed reading Thessalonians, Timothy, Titus, and so on. I just decided to start reading Jeremiah. And then I, I got to chapter 31, which is it's the first time that Jeremiah speaks about the, 
the future of Israel in a in a, in a in light of them coming back from exile, as it were, he begins to speak about the good things that God wants to do for them as a people. It's completely different to anything he's prophesied before. He was prophesying, you need to listen, you need to listen, you need to listen, or else. But then it's almost like God's decided, well, the exile is going to happen. You are going to be carried off. But he begins to speak to them about what he will do in the future. And I got... In my daily reading, this landed on the first day that we gathered with Steve to work out that stuff. And it was just, which is a really significant moment because Steve was talking about new era and stuff like that. And it's like God was saying, this is for you guys. This is what I want to do with you guys. Okay, so let me read it. And then after I've finished reading it, what I'd like you to do is press pause and then read it for yourself again whatever translation you're using. And I just want you to jot down um, the three phrases of hope that stand out to you the most. So as you read it personally, I'll read it to you, but you read it personally. You just jot down the three phrases of hope that really stand out to you. And if you're in a group or doing this with your family, I think it'd be really great to kind of pause and just share with each other, well, this is, this, these are my three phrases and this is what stood out to me. And then just kind of, as you do that, just kind of reflect and let those thoughts kind of ruminate, you know, reflect on what God is saying he's doing, not just for them, but what he wants to do for us. And if you're watching this on your own, I'd really encourage you actually just to share those things with your city group. Hey, these are the three things that stuck out to me because you're not watching it alone because we're all watching it together. So let me read it and then you can press pause, read it again for yourselves and jot down the three phrases of hope that stand out to you. So Jeremiah chapter 31, I'm just reading verses 1 to 14. In that day, says the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they will be my people. This is what the Lord says. Those who survive the coming destruction will find blessings, even in the barren land, for I will give rest to the people of Israel. Long ago, the Lord said to Israel, I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love. With unfailing love, I have drawn you to myself. I will rebuild you, my virgin Israel. You will be happy again and dance merrily with your tambourines. Again, you will plant your vineyards on the mountains of Samaria and eat from your own gardens there. The day will come when watchmen will shout from the hill country of Ephraim. Come, let us go up to Jerusalem to worship the Lord our God. Now this is what the Lord says. Sing for joy, Israel. Shout. For the greatest of nations, shout out with praise and joy. Save your people, O Lord, the remnant of Israel. For I will bring them from the north and from the distant corners of the earth. I will not forget the blind and the lame, the expectant mothers and the women in labor. A great company will return. Tears of joy will stream down their faces and I will lead them home with great care. They will walk beside quiet streams and on smooth paths where they will not stumble. For I am Israel's father, and Ephraim is my oldest child. Listen to this message from the Lord, you nations of the world. Proclaim it in the distant coastlands. The Lord, who scattered his people, will gather them and watch over his flock, as a shepherd does. For the Lord has redeemed Israel from those too strong for them. They will come home and sing songs of joy on the heights of Jerusalem. They will be radiant because of the Lord's good gifts, the abundant crops of grain, new wine and olive oil, and the healthy flocks and herds. Their life will be like a watered garden, and all their sorrows will be gone. 
The young women will dance for joy. The men, old and young, will join in celebration. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and exchange their sorrow for rejoicing. The priests will enjoy abundance. And my people will feast on the good gifts. I, the Lord, have spoken. So what I want you to do now is just press pause and then just read it through yourself again and just jot down the three phrases of hope that stand out to you from this passage. So I'll put my pause face on, which means pause. Okay, unfreeze face and we're back. Okay, so what's God saying to his people and therefore to us through this passage? Well, I've got two points that I'd like to pull out. And the first is that God really wants to give us joy. He really wants to give us joy. It's so clear as you read through. And I'm not going to go through every verse. I just want to pick out some highlights. It says in verse 1, you know, that we will find blessings. It says that he will give rest. It says in verse 4, I will rebuild you. You know, we were discussing about foundations. God is saying, I'm going to rebuild you again. Like, I'm going to rebuild you. It says, you will be happy again and dance merrily with your tambourines. Now, I know that not everyone gets super excited about the thought of picking up a tambourine and dancing around. I know I get it. But this isn't meant to be specific. It's a metaphor. Actually, people will feel so excited. It's like they want to burst into dancing because of what God's doing through them. It talks about, in verse 5, planting your vineyards and eating from your own gardens. And this has some really powerful symbolism because what it means is when you, when you have um, growing grapes, it's not like you plant them one day, you come back a month, there's a grape and you can turn it into wine. Actually, those grapes take years and years to mature until they're ready to be turned into wine that tastes fantastic. It's a minimum of seven years. And uh, in, these kind of, in this era, if you like, for, for, for Judah, the people of God, they were being invaded and then reinvaded and reinvaded and every time all their stuff got destroyed. But what this is saying is there's going to be a long, sustained period of peace, which means you're going to plant vineyards, you're going to plant your own gardens, you're going to be able to drink from them, you're going to be able to eat from them because there's this long, fantastic period of peace. There's not going to be enemies. You're not going to be worried about being conquered. He kind of expands on that as he goes on next. He talks about the watchmen in verse 6. They're leaving their post and they're saying, come, let's go up to Jerusalem to worship God. You know, the watchmen have been on their towers watching for the enemy for years and years and years. But there comes a point when no one's ever showing up. There, there isn't an enemy out there anymore. They don't need to be at their watch posts. They can just come and just come back to Jerusalem and worship God. They talk about singing with joy, shouts of praise. In verse 9, I love this. It says, tears of joy will stream down their faces. I will lead them with great care. They will walk beside quiet streams and on smooth paths where they will not stumble. Verse 12, they will be radiant because of the Lord's good gifts. My people will feast on my good gifts in the last verse, verse 14. I, the Lord, have spoken. You go through this list and you think, that's, that's phenomenal. That's phenomenal what God was saying to them. He's like, I'm going to do all these things for you. It looked unlikely in that point of time, but he was going to do these things for you. And for, for me, the fact that this was my daily reading on the first kind of time that we gathered together back in February, I just felt like God was saying, this is what he wants to do for us as a church, 
He wants to fill us with joy so that our faces will be radiant again. He wants us to be almost like feeling like we're, we're rejoicing. We want to burst into dance. He, his presence is going to be with us. He's going to rebuild us and he's going to establish us. And he starts the, 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 the whole prophecy starts with what God has said in the past. He starts by talking about, you know, God has said before about his everlasting love. Churchill said, um, the farther back you can look, the farther forward you are likely to see. The further back you look, the farther forward you are likely to see. And what God was doing in this prophecy when he was speaking to Jeremiah is like, look, look back. Just remember that I've spoken to you about my everlasting love. When you look back on that, I want you to look to the future and remember that I love you. I care about you. I want to fill you with joy. I will do these things. And for us, I think as a church, we need to look back on what God has said. I think individually, you know, you're probably carrying hopes and dreams, things that God has put on your heart for you. You need to kind of look back and say, what has God said to me in the past? Let me remember what God has said. As a community, you know, God said to us specifically you know, that he wants to shape us, that we would be shaped by God so that he can shape the city through us, neighborhood by neighborhood. You know, not just this city, but actually even extending to the nations. And nobody else is going to do it. He's going to do it. He wants to shape us so he can shape through us. We've got to look back and remember that is what God said. And he's faithful to it. And if you like, the greatest word that he's ever spoken to us was the word himself, Jesus. He, when we look back to the cross, we see an act of of love that is unparalleled, unequaled, where God himself would come down to earth and suffer and die for us. There's, there's no greater word, there's no greater symbol or act that says, I love you so much more than you understand than that. And it's when we look back on that, it helps us to see our future in that light. Of course God loves us. Of course he cares so deeply for us. Of course he's got such good things for us. He, he died so that we could have joy. So, of course, that's what he wants for us as a community. So I believe that's what God's saying to us. He wants our faces to be radiant. He wants us to be full of joy. The second thing I think he wants to say to us is, you know, he is going to be the person to do it. it it's his plan. He's going to be the person to do it. In a moment, I want you to pause again. And I want you to... First, write down some things. And again, if you're in a group, share them with your group and reflect upon why that may be the case. I don't want you to think about it too much. And if you're like me, uh, there's no danger of thinking too much. You're, you're, they're perfectly safe. But some people actually, I want you encouraged just to write the first three words that come into your head when I, when I say this. So you need your kind of notepad ready, get ready to pause. I want you to write down the first three words, perhaps they could be phrases, that you think when we talk about coming back to church on Sundays. So what are the first three words or phrases that come back into your head? And then um, get together and discuss these in your groups or text them to your friends. I'm going to do another pause phase. Okay, we paused. We're back from the pause. Now, why did I do that? Talking to people about Sundays and where they're at with Sundays, getting a mixture. Some people... Um, I mean, myself included, just being honest, there's been a sense where it's a lot easier 
to do church from home. I mean, I've got a one-year-old and a two-year-old. Um, it's easier just to be able to press pause on the preach um, and change a nappy or whatever. Um, it's, it's shorter. We don't, I mean, maybe you get dressed for Sunday morning church at home, but we've just been whatever, whatever you wake up in kind of a thing. There's a sense that it's easier. When you begin to talk about rosters and stuff like that, people aren't like chomping at the bit. You know, if you're from Chatsworth, all I need to do is say the word Tarago and something in you switches off. I mean, by the way, you may be surprised to hear, but it's currently not working. Um, there, there's a sense that admin around church. But more than that, I think people are living with a... It's not just our church, but it's right across the church, the Western church, post-COVID. It's like, actually, what is church all about? Why, why, do we, why do we go? And there's almost like a godly dissatisfaction. I want, we want more from this. We really want to encounter God when we, when we get together. We want to be part of a, a family that it doesn't say it's a family, but really is family. Where these people are like our, our, our comrades, where we have a deep kind of love and affection for each other. And people are like, I, I want Sundays to be like that. And they're living with, uh, well, what will it be like when we get back together? I want to show you a, a picture of how I think we can articulate what faith is. Because I think when we look at a chapter like this and what God might be saying to us, we need to have faith that he's going to do it. So there's a picture which will appear here. So Carmen Stoddard posted this a few weeks ago um, with a caption around, um, you know, maybe she was wrong to dare her husband, Jamie, to climb this wall. And I think it's a great illustration for what faith is like. Because what it is, is it's, it's, it's a huge wall that takes a lot of effort to scale and I think faith is like that. It's like behind the wall is what God said, who he is and all his promises. But what we so often see is just like a wall of circumstances that kind of say, that's not going to happen because all we see is this wall. These are the circumstances. How can God ever do what he says he's going to do? Because all I'm seeing is a big wall. And what we have to do is kind of, in faith, go through the effort of climbing up the wall, getting to the top and looking out and seeing Seeing Jesus all over again, seeing how phenomenal he is, seeing that he's totally in control. And it reminds us actually God is faithful. He, he will do what he said he is. But some so often we just see the wall and we go like, no. And that's a really thin, um, strong theme right throughout the Bible. You take a person like Abraham, you know, you're going to have, look at the stars. That's how many, you know, family members you're going to have. What is, you know, from Adrian, Abraham's perspective, all you can see is a big wall of, he doesn't even have a kid. He's too old to even have kids. Circumstances of this big wall and say, it's not going to happen. But he, he managed to rise above that wall and see that it was God who promised it and he's faithful. And let's be honest, the people in this chapter, in Jeremiah 31, they'd have heard this, but very shortly after that, they would have gone into exile for 70 years. So let's say, imagine yourself, let's say, Let's say you're roughly around 30, you've got some young kids, maybe some of them are barely walking, maybe some of them are four or five. Shortly after this is given, you are taken off into Babylon, into exile. 35 years later, right? you're in your mid-60s, Jerusalem, the temple, is a long, long distant memory. Your kids maybe can remember stories about it through you. Some of them may have vague recollections of it. But the youngest, they've never been to the temple. You think another generation, because 35 years is only halfway. 
another 30 years on top. Your kids are now in their mid-60s. They've had kids. They've never, ever, ever been to Jerusalem. Their, their Farsi is as good as their Hebrew. You know, rather than staying kind of pure in the nation, they've got um, a crush on the Iranian girls rather than the Hebrews they're meant to. And I can't judge them for that because it's exactly the same for me. I've also married an Iranian. Great choice, by the way. Um, Cindy, you're amazing. I'm very lucky to be married to you. And it's always good to use the preaching platform to get some branding points with your wife. But back to the, back to the main story, okay. Imagine them re-reflecting on these words that God's going to gather them up, that there's going to be joy and stuff like that. After 70 years in the exile, after never ever being to your home country, you begin to see this wall of circumstances. It's just not going to happen. God's not going to do it. It's, It's just too unlikely. But he did do it. He did, like, when you read history, it's phenomenal that the Persians would let the Jewish people go home, but they did. They let them go and they let them rebuild. And everything they were looking for, they were looking for this kind of mighty conquering saviour who was going to come and throw off all the enemies that were threatening them. You know, that maybe God himself would come down and go, kapow! And he did, but he didn't do it as they were expecting. He, he, he came down and he defeated the principalities and the power. He defeated the enemy himself. He defeated death. He defeated the power of sin. But he did it in like a phenomenal humility that people missed. He won a far, far greater victory than the Jewish people thought he would. He brought joy back, not just to the Jewish nation, but to the whole human race. He won an eternal, timeless victory. He did far greater than they ever imagined he would. He's phenomenal. And we've got to look back and see, actually, God is so faithful. And we can see circumstances and just think, man... He's, it's not going to be like that. He's not going to do that. But we've got to somehow lift our heads above the wall and remember no, that God is faithful. He does it. You know, we look back in our past and we see the cross. We see Christ. We see that phenomenal act of love that he thinks the human race, race is precious and worth dying to save. We look into our future and we see Jesus risen in glory at the head of a mighty army, bringing us back to him forever and ever and ever. And everything in between, we see him being faithful. We see him being kind. We see him being generous and good and blessing his people. That's his heart for us, to receive the good stuff that he intended. So I want to encourage you to keep reading this, to keep reflecting on this, because this is what I felt God was saying. This is what he wants our community to be. He wants us to be radiant. He wants us to be full of joy. He wants us to be taking ground for the kingdom of God. He wants us to be fruitful. He wants us to be seeing people saved. He's desperate. He wants us to be baptizing people in water and in the Holy Spirit. He wants us to be growing and flourishing, not for our sake, but for the sake of the name of his own father. You know, he's zealous for his kingdom, for his people. And he's going to do it. He's going to shape us so that we can shape this city. He's going to shape the city through us. That's his promise. So I don't have a grand conclusion for you, but I do have some action points. What I'd really love for you to do is to remember the three phrases of hope that you wrote down earlier. And I would love you to keep reflecting on them. I would love you to keep praying into them, to really believe God. And they might be a good exercise. I don't know where you're at. Perhaps... Contrast them with some of the things that you wrote down. If you're a little bit nervous about what it's going to look like going back and what the future holds and say, well, 
I feel like this, but I believe that God has said this. And you've got to pray and pray and pray till you get your head above the circumstances and you can see in faith what God is wanting to do with us as a people. That's my little action point for you. Take those three things and let's really pray them in. Well, thanks so much for being with us today. I hope that that's blessed you and I hope that's encouraged you. I hope that you have a great rest of the day and we'll see you soon. Thanks.